Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cash That. This is your host, Joe Delara. This is going to be a really interesting episode. We have two games down in pretty much every series of the NBA playoffs. And now we are kind of heading into that part of the first round where it's like, all right, some of these series might be faster than we had anticipated. Um, and other ones, maybe we're looking in for a little bit of a longer haul. I'm recording this Wednesday morning. I wanted to wait until the games on Tuesday night were completed before I recorded this. So this is a little bit in terms of the scheduling of like when this is coming out. It's been a little bit of a sacrifice for me, but it works out better for you guys. Um, the only series that still have uh, only one game to go still are on tonight uh, or that have only played one game. We have the Lakers uh, versus the Grizzlies, the Heat versus the Bucks, and the um, the Minnesota Timberwolves versus the Denver Nuggets. So it's going to be it, we're going to talk about some of these games. We're going to talk about some of the bigger picture things going on in the NBA playoffs. Um, but I wanted to start off with some of the games tonight. I'll give you guys a pick. My favorite pick on today's slate is actually for Michael Porter Jr. to go over two and a half threes. Um, I really like this play, especially considering the fact that I like the Timberwolves just really don't have a great answer for this Nuggets offense. Um, the Nuggets offense is absolutely humming. And, you know, when you're in a situation where you really have to play Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns, it does make it a bit more difficult to get out to the perimeter, defend those three point shots. And Michael Porter Jr. is just an absolute sniper. Like those are, that's a spot that he's going to be able to continue finding success from. And his points line is at 17 and a half, kind of like that. But I do think that the best spot is the three point prop. Um, it's a little bit juicy uh, at the two and a half. It's at minus 145. But look, he's hit this in nine of his last 10 games. He just had four in game one against Minnesota. And the thing is, the volume is very clearly there. Um, he took nine threes against Minnesota. Michael Porter Jr. is an excellent, excellent three-point shooter. And over the course of the full season, he's hit this in 65% of games. And the big thing here for me is that Michael Porter Jr. has generally performed even better with Nikola Jokic. And over, his, and over the course of the season, you actually see that spike up a little bit when you add in games with Jokic. Um, and over his last 30 games, he's hit this in 77% of games playing alongside of Jokic. So I think that this spot, even though you're paying some significant juice at minus 145, I think it's worth it. Um, I also think that four plus is actually worth the dabble, um, which generally it, it, it isn't. But we can talk about this for like a ladder play situation. It's listed as plus 180, plus 200 for the four He's hit this in about half of his last 30 games with Jokic. Uh, he's at 47%, so 14 out of 30. The implied odds of that are plus 114. And I'm actually going to be contributing to an author, uh, or contributing to an article written by Gilles Gallant um, about finding ladder opportunities um, and how exactly you should be looking at them. And one of the ways that I like to look at them, and I'll kind of tease this, but I'll write about it a little bit more in the article, when I'm looking for different spots that I want to go up or take alternate lines, a lot of it not only has to do with obviously the individual cap of the game, right? So I'll be looking at a game saying like, all right, well, like this game sets up this way or this particular matchup, uh, it should be beneficial for this player. But I also like to look at that hit rate and what the implied odds would have been over the past, like however many games sample size that I want to use. So 
this one 30 kind of makes sense. Like it's a big, it's a wider sample that we can kind of have an idea of how he's been performing. So all that to be said, I think that you do have a pretty good edge here on the four plus. Um, and I think that it's worth a sprinkle, especially because I let, I really love the two and a half line and Porter Jr. has been such a good three point shooter. The Wolves, they allow about an average amount of three-point attempts, but they allow opponents to shoot roughly 37% from three-point range, which is one of the worst ranks in the league. Uh, And they're allowing that shot at a pretty high clip. So I think this is a spot where I want to back Michael Porter Jr. I'm looking at whether or not I want to back the Nuggets generally or not. I think the spread is, um, you know, maybe, maybe maybe a touch high for my liking. At, uh, at the minus eight and a half, but realistically, Denver is a far better team, and it wouldn't shock me to see another blowout in game two. I do want to talk about this Grizzlies-Lakers series, though. Um, obviously, we all saw the injury to John Morant with his hand. I, I mean, I'd be really surprised if he's able to play tonight, but uh, and especially you need to consider the fact that they've managed to be pretty successful even without John Morant, right? So on the season, you know, he they said he re-aggravated a soft tissue bruising in his right hand. Um, he didn't come back. He said post-game his pain level was a 10. Coach Jenkins said that Morant, you know, he did some shooting, he did some dribbling, and it would come down to pain tolerance. But look, in my opinion, and this is a little bit of a hot take, but the Grizzlies are fine without John Morant. Uh, we've seen that throughout the season, especially over the last two seasons, the team has been pretty successful even without him. And Tyus Jones really is a master facilitator. He would honestly be a starter on many other teams. And in this particular spot against the Lakers, that it's generally like a little bit of a softer matchup for guards, right? Just with D'Angelo Russell at the helm, uh, Dennis Schroeder is not like the greatest defender. I think the Tyus Jones would be able to fill in fine uh, without John Moran. The problem really comes down to how many minutes can Tyus Jones play? Um, So maybe we'll see Moran in like a limited capacity just because it's better than a third string guy out there. But we should see a little bit more facilitating from uh, Desmond Bain. Uh, Dylan Brooks will probably just continue to shoot the ball way too many times. And, you know, Luke Kennard might see a little bit more minutes, which I think is good in this matchup against the Lakers because you want to be able to shoot threes. You want to be able to kind of contest with them. The concern is obviously going to be, look, they lost game one. And it was close, but then the Lakers kind of blew the doors open at the end of the game. The concern is that Jaron Jackson Jr. really did not get into any foul trouble and you lost the game. And the concern there is that if John Morant's out, Jaron Jackson Jr. like put up a significant amount of points, obviously, in game in game one. And he played very, very well. <clears throat> he scored. Uh, he made two threes. He, he put up, what was it, 31 points? Uh, he put up 31 points. He grabbed five rebounds, and he also had four assists while contributing three steals plus blocks. So it the fact that he didn't foul out, he really wasn't in foul trouble, played 37 minutes, and he only had three fouls, is, 
I think surprising in a way, right? Um, Anthony Davis and LeBron both kind of took a back seat as Rui Hachimura and Austin Reeves were really balling out. But I'd expect that to shift a bit. And I think that it's a concern, in my opinion, if you're if you're Memphis, because you have to look at this and say, like, well, they like the Lakers won this game. We had Jaron Jackson Jr. the whole game, and it was close. Um, John Moran obviously gets ruled out midway in the game, but that's about a that's like a ceiling game for Jaron Jackson Jr. So can we continue to contend? I like I've said this before, like I was in the Lakers, I liked them in the spot. Um even previously uh but i i really do think that this is a tough tough matchup for memphis based on the fact that they really like to get out in transition tyus jones is good at that too but they don't necessarily have the size to contain anthony davis past jared jackson jr and if john morant is out i think that his defensive effort probably has to get subdued even a little bit more just because you really can't run the risk of losing his offense in this type of game if you're missing John Morant. So I think that I definitely wouldn't be looking to play any of his defensive stats, but I think that it's a spot where we can kind of back Anthony Davis on the low. Um, In his matchups against Memphis, he scored 28-30 and now 22 points last game. Uh, but his and his shot volume was there. He still made 10 of 17 shots, but he really didn't get to the free throw line. He only took two free throws. Um, given Triple J's foul history, I think that it's entirely possible that that's a little bit of an outlier. So I'm probably looking to play some Anthony Davis points here. Um, he's also been great on the glass. And, you know, he recorded 12 rebounds last game. But I think what I'm probably going to do is I'm probably going to look to make a same game parlay with Anthony Davis. I think you can grab him maybe at like 20 points and two stop and two blocks or something like that. And you're going to find a significant amount of value, especially because against this Memphis team, Anthony Davis has been tremendous blocking the basketball. And he had seven blocks in game one. He's had two in a previous game this, uh, this season. And he had five in the other one that he played. So. I think that this is a spot where Anthony Davis is going to be able to really shine through in particular because of the fact that if John Morant's out or limited, they really need Jaron Jackson Jr.'s offense there. It's going to make it a little bit harder for him to be that presence on the defensive side of the ball. The other big news is obviously Draymond Green getting suspended after the kerfuffle with DeMontis Sabonis. Um, Regardless of like who you really think is at fault there, it is a little surprising to see Draymond actually be suspended, but it's going to create like quite the betting implication in the market. Right. So Draymond green is one of the greatest defensive players of all time. I don't care what anybody says. The guy is a freak defensively. Um, Now you're setting up this game where the Kings opened as seven and a half point underdogs on the road. And now it's been bet down to five or six in the market. Um, this is interesting, right? Because this is a must-win game for the Warriors. They're down 0-2. The big thing has been, like, they can't win on the road. They still have not won on the road. And they really got to win this game at home. Like, you don't want to go down 0-3 because you just, I mean, you don't have LeBron James on this team. So, um, this is definitely interesting. And it's it's going to create a problem because Draymond was really the primary defender of DeMontis Sabonis. It was him and Looney, but... 
Green was really causing a lot of problems for Sabonis. Um, now you take out Draymond Green on an already thin Warriors team. And I think that that's the thing that's most important, right? So you're looking at a Warriors team that just doesn't have depth. It's been a problem. And Kerr like, has really struggled to figure out what like the rotations are and what the lineups are. And Draymond Green is the number one te- player on their team in terms of point differential based on his minutes because Iguodala's only played 112 minutes. and But you're looking at a plus 14 from Draymond Green. Um, when Draymond Green doesn't play, that means that you're probably looking at some more minutes for like DiVincenzo, Kaminga, um, I guess Gary Payton the second, I guess a little bit of Andrew Wiggins, but you're not getting the same type of quality in terms of both the offensive facilitating that he can do and being the defensive maestro that he is on the defensive side of the ball. When we take Draymond Green off the floor this season, the Warriors go from a plus 2.4 point differential to a minus six. That's not great. It's really not great. And like, even if we leave, let's, let's, let's sort this by, it will leave Steph Curry on the floor. The problem with this is when over the last two years, when Curry has played without Draymond Green, he actually sees his points decrease by about four points per game. And with Steph Curry on the floor, Draymond off this season, they still are a minus two um, with in that circumstance. Uh, When we look at, the numbers for the playoffs. So this is obviously these games against the Kings. The problem is like without Draymond on the floor, they just can't cover anybody. Even with Curry on, they're plus 5.9, but they're allowing 120 points per 100 possessions. So that's in a 58 possession sample size, very small. When Draymond's off the floor, they are a minus six overall. So like Curry has been that good in these playoffs uh, that it's making a difference. But without Draymond in the 64 possessions without Draymond on the floor, the Warriors are allowing 129.4 points per 100 possessions. That's that's atrocious. There's just there's nothing you can do with that. They're not, and it's hard. Like this Kings team has a legendary offense. They have one of the best offenses statistically of all time, and without Draymond there, you're really getting deep in those rotations. Uh, And, you know, now you don't have like the two primary defenders of DeMontis Sabonis. So if you're unable to match up minutes with Looney, then like there's only been two possessions that the, the Warriors have played this season or this postseason without both Draymond Green and Kevon Looney. So there's not a big sample size there. And if you're going to get Sabonis minutes, you know, maybe not lined up against Draymond or Looney, that's going to be, that's going to create quite the problem. And this is something that we even saw during the regular season, right? When neither of them were on the floor, the Warriors had a minus 6.3 point differential and the defense was allowing 117.8 points per 100 possessions. You could build out Sabonis triple double at about plus 875. He kind of has struggled in the first two games of the series, but if, if those guys are out, this is definitely a spot that I think we can capitalize on. Additionally, I think that I guess like we'll probably see some more Kaminga minutes, but I, I don't know if Steve Kerr is really going to do that. I don't know how much he trusts him. Um, and it's going to create quite the pressure point, especially on the bench 
uh, with what the Kings are going to be able to do. I, I'm curious to see if Kerr has to change these rotations to try to stagger Curry minutes or if Curry's really going to play like the whole game because it, 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 like, it really is a must-win game and Kerr is just kind of getting coached around at this point um, by Mike Brown. So we'll, we'll have to see. I think the Kings with the points is the play here. I know that home teams down 0-2 in the playoffs cover at a, like a, a 65% clip in game three. But without Draymond Green, I don't know if a two-point line move is necessarily enough, given the fact that they this team is just so, so thin from top to bottom. And to lose a guy that's playing 35-plus minutes of meaningful offense and defense, that's that's really difficult to, to navigate. I actually think that you have to consider at this point that the Warriors might actually get swept. Um especially if they go down 0-3 and you can get that number at about like plus 900 or so it's it's a significant number and i don't think that it's really properly accounting for the fact that that this is what this is what's going on here right so like you can get four games at plus 750 on DraftKings but it's plus 900 on FanDuel and you can actually get the series spread at minus two and a half games for the Kings at plus 215 there. Uh, you can, like, I, I just think that this is a series where the Kings are healthier. Um, they are in a better position. They're they're playing more collectively, more cohesively. And just going down 0-3, which I think is much more likely than these odds indicate, is so, so significant. And it's just not something that I think this Warriors team is capable of coming back from because without Draymond, these guys are going to have to just bang like 33s. And honestly, even then, they can't stop Sacramento. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Kings really can give a pushback here. Turning to some of the other injuries, though, uh, obviously this this Giannis injury is significant, but also Tyler Hero's injury is significant. Um, it's really going to create – it's creating quite a – gap right so if Anacumpo is unable to play the biggest beneficiary has generally been uh Drew Holiday in terms of his facilitating but also Bobby Portis has been a double double machine without him uh on the flip side if we're looking at Miami it sucks Tyler here I think he's crazy he broke his hand he gets the ball passed to him and he makes a three and then he has to come out of the game but that's a pretty significant injury I think the guy that might actually play and absorb some of these minutes might be Duncan Robinson, right? Um, he played about seven minutes or so after hero came out. Um, but this is going to be a spot where maybe they lean on him to make a couple threes, but Jimmy Butler is going to have to win this game for them. They have Miami. They obviously stole, they kind of stole game one. If they want to win this series, they have to win game two, in my opinion, because you just like Giannis can beat this Miami Heat team anytime he's out there. And if Miami's able to steal both games on the road in Milwaukee due to Giannis's injury, that really dramatically changes the home court narrative. Uh, Milwaukee has to win then whatever it is, four out of five games in order to advance. It, it makes it much, much, much more difficult. The margins are razor thin and the thing is, though, I still think that Milwaukee's better, even without Giannis. I think that they have a lot that they can contribute, and I wouldn't be surprised if Milwaukee's able to win this game that they've been able to game plan around um, and maybe kind of navigate this Giannis injury a little bit better 
And I think that, you know, maybe you throw some different looks at Jimmy Butler. You can kind of plan on this a little bit more. And I would expect to see maybe some more minutes from Jay Crowder, a couple more minutes from Ingles, a little bit more from Pat Connington. And Drew Holiday, like I said, is going to have to really, really win this game for Milwaukee. So I think I like the Bucs. I probably would lay the points as a spot that I'm looking at. And I'll definitely be looking at Drew Holiday to record a double-double in this spot. I want to touch very briefly on the Sixers and the Nets. Um, that series is over. Uh, Sixers are winning. Sixers sweet. That that series is absolutely cooked. I bet uh, Sixers minus four in game three. Brooklyn just has nothing going on for them. That that series is over. Um, and another series that's also over is the Boston Celtics versus the versus the Atlanta Hawks. That series is done. Um, Boston's going to sweep in my opinion. And we bet Boston minus two and a half games. This is an easy one. Uh, I'm very, very unconcerned in that series. So I think we're, I think we're very, very good there. The last series that I'm going to talk about today is obviously the New York Knicks versus the Cleveland Cavaliers. Let's kind of dive into this one. Knicks. The Knicks in game two probably played one of the worst offensive games they have had all season, scoring just 96.5 points per 100 possessions. EFG percentage through the floor. Cleveland just played great. Cleveland played great. You got a lot of contributions from Karis LeVert, which was significant because he was somebody that really just didn't do anything in game one. Uh, additionally, we're seeing Donovan Mitchell as an assist guy all of a sudden. Um, he's got, he had 13 last game. He had eight the game before. He's been incredible as a, as a lead facilitator. Um, he dropped down. He only scored 17 points, which was a little bit surprising, but it kind of worked out to open up the rest of the offense. Um, Cleveland kind of went in with a game plan where they said, you know, Mitchell, we're going to cut your shots maybe a little bit, and we're going to see if we can get anybody else open, try to get the offense rolling. And the windup of this was the Cavs really cut their rotation down pretty significantly. They really ran a seven-man rotation. Isaac Okoro started and played three minutes. Um, just complete smoke and mirrors there. And we saw Karis LeVert, 20 minutes of Chetty Osman. 17 minutes of Danny Green. Danny Green didn't really do all that much um, on the offensive side of the ball, neither did Chetty Osmond, but we saw Evan Mobley continue to dominate on the boards. Jared Allen have almost a double-double with 9 points, 10 rebounds, and Darius Garland put up 32 points on 6 of 10 shooting from 3. The big thing is, obviously, the Cavs shot incredibly from distance, right? Uh they were 14 of 32 from three-point range, while the Knicks were six for 26. So you figure those numbers probably regulate a little bit heading into game two or heading into game three, back at the garden rather. But it's definitely a concerning thing. The Cavs, they really punched back and they were able to find some answers for what New York was able to do in game one. Um, I think the other thing that's important to remember here is the Knicks, you know, from a motivation perspective, they did grab game one. So you wonder at what point are, you know, they going to kind of make some adjustments, uh, especially with the fact that, you know, they stole one of the games on the road. Now you just have to win your home games. You win the series. So I think that we're in a position where this should still be a long series, which is something that I had thought about and which is something that I had thought before. But one of the things that New York needs to do is they really got to cut these RJ minutes. They're bad. 
he's just continued to not be able to make shots and it's affecting the spacing. And when you want to have Jalen Brunson run ISO and, and kind of take Donovan Mitchell or Darius Garland to work, it's tough when you have guys clogging the lane, you really need to surround him with some shooters and it makes it a little bit more difficult. So even though they're putting on more pressure on Jalen Brunson, if you're unable to get guys that can kind of help him out on the perimeter or make some shots and make them pay, it's very, very difficult. So the thing for Cleveland on the flip side is you, if the, as they've gone to the smaller lineup with Karis LeVert, right? Um, it makes it much more difficult to help off of him uh you obviously because Karis LeVert's a much better offensive player than Isaac Okoro when they do that the small lineup that the Cavs are running it's allowing them to space the floor it's making it much more difficult for New York to you know help off and hedge off of some of their guys like which they were just consistently giving help off of Okoro uh if you're unable to do that you're really having to defend Donovan Mitchell Darius Garland heads up and that's not necessarily a a situation that New York wants to be in. They wanted to be able to help. They want to be able to give that additional edge, right? And give that additional defender. So it's it's creating these openings on New York's defensive end. So I'd expect Cleveland to continue to use this small ball lineup until New York is able to adjust. Whether that means like going into some, some sort of zone, if they think that that's going to maybe throw a wrench into it, or I think that it really means that you need to have Quentin Grimes playing more minutes. You need to have more minutes with Grimes quickly uh, and Brunson, I think, because Brunson's like, a, he's not the best defender, but he can kind of like manage on his own a bit, but you really need more minutes with quickly and Grimes as opposed to RJ, uh, RJ on the perimeter. Maybe you even need a little bit of Miles McBride instead because of his defensive capabilities. So it does make it very, very difficult for New York, but you know that you have good defenders in quickly and Grimes, and those are the two guys that really need to be on the floor. If I see them getting more minutes, I'll feel a lot better about the Knicks in this series. So like I said, I think this is going to be a really long series. I think it's going to be a fun series, and I think that there are going to be some ways for Julius Randle to kind of get open, kind of get going, but this still, as a series overall, it does present a difficult matchup for him. Uh, his points line, it was 24 and a half. He's gone under that now in six of seven games against the Cavs over the last two years. So definitely a spot. I mean, obviously going home kind of changes it. Role players generally tend to play better on the road or on at home rather. So maybe we'll see a little bit of positive uh, differential for New York and we'll see what they're able to get going here. But it's it's going to be a long series. I'd like to see this rotation for New York get trimmed down a little bit. I want to see less RJ Barrett. I want to see more of Josh Hart, more Quentin Grimes, definitely, and more Emmanuel Quickly. There's just no circumstance. There's no reason that Grimes and Quickly should be playing 22 and 21 minutes. That's just it makes absolutely no sense. Like you you got to cut into Barrett. It it just has to happen. He's just not really good enough to be on the floor at this point, especially in this type of matchup. So those are some of my playoff thoughts. Some of the things that I'm looking to bet right now, I still think that the Lakers present a ton of value. They should win. I think that they should win the series. The Kings are still presenting value, right? Um, just based on the fact that, you know, they're going to be without Draymond. They're just continuing to be underrated. You can get them, like I said, at a sweep at plus 900. Uh, I think that this is 
the oh the last series rather the Clippers Sun series is really interesting. Um, I don't have like a ton of thoughts on it, just that I think it's going to be long because Clippers can switch everything. They can make life so difficult for uh for Phoenix, and it's really a tough matchup for Phoenix. But whoever comes out of that series is going to be you know a tough matchup for Denver as well. So there's a little bit of value on either one of those teams if you like them still just because of the fact that they're playing each other and they're playing each other so closely. So there's a little bit of something to be said there. And I think there's a little bit of meat on the bone in that series. Uh, but I'm not looking at any of those teams for title futures. I don't necessarily believe in Phoenix long-term and the Clippers just seem to be this like hypothetical team that you can never really figure out. Um, as for the Eastern conference, it's really tough, but Milwaukee should be able to win this series they should be able to win the next series. Uh, I, I don't think this will be an injury that really holds Giannis out too, too long. And I think that they'll be fine in the long run and will still wind up being the team to beat out of the East. So those are just some of my playoff thoughts for now. We'll kind of get back into it. Uh, we'll get back into it next week and we will have, we'll have a good time out there. So uh, just a scheduling update though. I am now on buckets, usually on, I record Sundays going into Monday. So that episode drops on Monday. Um, I did put out, I did get, I did join prospector Sam on an episode of his podcast. So that's out there. Uh, I've retweeted it. Um, and you know, you guys can listen to me talk about myself a little bit of long form about like what I think about overall in terms of gambling and sports betting and the market and some of those things. So it was a good episode. It was a lot of fun. And that is my recommendation for the week. So go check that podcast out and let's cash that.